Hey, Angel. Hey. Did you see that weird light in the sky the other day? Which light? You know, the, the flashing one. The flashing light? Was that a plane? No, it wasn't a plane. It was, it was flashing and it was changing colors and... Perhaps Venus when it was going down and it was through the atmosphere? No, 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 the, the big flashy thingy. Big the... flashing thing? I don't know, uh, what might have been. Hold on, let me do a quick Google and we'll figure this out. Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks. And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the, the Scientists. Okay, everyone, welcome to episode nine. Nine. Yes, that is correct. Nine. Wow. I still get surprised every single time we go up one more episode. And we are already in May. And we're already in May. What scary is that? Ah, May? What happened to the trial period of 2018? Ah. Okay, so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about those weird flashing lights in the sky. I did a quick Google. You did? I did. So, what was it? They are the auroras. Wait a second. Auroras? Auroras. From here? Yes, from here. From Sydney? Just about. From New South Wales? From New South Wales. Okay. So recently in the news, Aurora Australis, so the southern lights, were so intense, they were visible from as north as Kayama, which is just south of Sydney, for those who don't know Sydney geography. Which is pretty north, pretty far north. Kayama, it is only, uh, we'll say, even less than 100 kilometers south from Sydney, probably mm-hmm. less than that yep. in the coast. Exactly. I mean, these things are rare to see from mainland Australia, often seen from Tasmania, but not often from mainland Australia, and we got it in New South Wales. Okay, I didn't have a clue. Well, perhaps because I have been busy, traveling, observing, and, well, the standard things that uh, professional astronomers do. Just the usual. So, but what are these auroras? Because there the, there's these weird flashing lights in the sky. When people see weird flashing lights in the sky, their mind runs rampant. UFOs, aliens. But what really are these things? And I love the explanation about this. Well, I'm still surprised that we could be able to see an aurora, aurora australis, from this north in Australia. Although perhaps thinking a bit about that, it should not surprise me. Because I remember that there have been also news in the in the past, in some few years, and even a few decades ago, that auroras were able to be seen even from Spain, in the oh. northern hemisphere. So perhaps, well, in a very particular event of very high activity in, in auroras, they could go this low. So it is not surprising at the end. But oh. what I'm surprised it is that have not heard about that in the news. Anyway, <laughs> sorry for that. What are auroras? Auroras are this kind of beautiful display of lights that sometimes you can see near the poles of the Earth, consequence of high energy particles coming from the sun. These particles emitted from the sun are charged, are ions in many cases, and they are trapped in the magnetic fields of the Earth. 
the magnetic fields of the Earth is protecting us from this very strong radiation from the sun and also from the space. Mm. That is one of the reasons why it's so challenging to go to Mars or even when we went to the moon, because if you are in the middle of the space where none of these eruptions or the streams of charged material from the sun is coming, that would be very bad for you. Yes, no one really wants to be uh, fried by the solar wind. Yeah, regarding what amazing movies like the Fantastic Four say. Had you seen that? I have seen that. I saw it recently too, actually, when they're on the space station and they get hit by this huge solar wind and there's lots of sound and it's all intense. <laughs> and that is why they receive the powers that they have. Mm-hmm. So oh. if I get hit by a solar wind, I'm going to get powers? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because <laughs> in a real scenario, these poor astronauts uh, should have, you know... Radiation good, poisoning, probably? Uh, just die, let's say, easily. Mm. But they would have been just... <laughs> burned (laughs) because of all these strong particles. (laughs) Anyway, these particles are trapped in the magnetic field of the Earth, but the magnetic fields of the Earth, it has a couple of kind of holes in the poles of the magnetic fields. And the magnetic fields are moving these particles to the poles. And in in those positions, it is where the high energy particles are colliding with the material in our atmosphere. Mm. And that is what is doing the display of colors that uh, we now call an aurora. And I love uh, how I explain it. I explain it very, you know, low depth at the observatory, but it's basically exciting the particles in our atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. They're getting excited. Exactly. (laughs) It is not exactly the same way, but very similar to the way we see the emission nebula, the stuff in the region, the gas that is emitting light with a very particular color because of the ions and the chemical elements that are located in that nebula. Yeah. But according to this article I have here, Aurora Australis is a rare disturbance in the Earth's magnetic field. It's not really that rare. It is not really that rare because everyone is watching auroras almost every week, I will say. Particularly Mm. if you go to the very North Pole because it is easier to go to the North Pole. Then even there are tourists that are continuously going just to have a look and enjoy the Northern Lights. Mm. as they are called from the Northern Hemisphere. So they're not that rare. They're not that rare. <laughs> I, I don't know why they are saying about that. So I'm a bit surprised. What, what is that article? Tell, show me. It's, it's, um, look, it's from the Sydney Morning Herald. And okay, it has a very nice image. It does from, have a very nice image. From where that was taken? Uh, it's taken from, from... We don't know. Just hit up the southern skies this week. There we mm. go. But it no. also says that it's a display in a rare recent alignment of the sun and the magnetic field that caused this phenomenon known as the southern lights. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. That's okay. what it says. I'm reading it right here. <laughs> well, we really don't need anything that special. The only thing it is that there is a particular erection of material from the sun and it is coming toward the earth then we will expect not only auroras, but also a geomagnetic storm, something like that. Mm. Uh, and that is a bit worrying because this kind of phenomena, they are really interacting with our satellites, our, our communication system, and even though they can cause a lot of problems in the way we conduct the electricity and so on on Earth. That's and it right. had happened in the past. Yes, I heard about one that happened to Montreal, I think, yes. back in the early 2000s or late 1990s when the Earth got hit by a big solar storm and it 
blacked out our GPS systems for a while and that city didn't have power for like a couple of hours it, or even a few days even, I think. Yeah, yeah this has to be perfectly fine. That mm. is what will happen and it will eventually happen again mm. because well, that is what the sun does. And we'll just have to have, be ready to eat all the ice cream. There have been in the history some few of these events also recorded. The big one, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it's called the Carrington effect or the Carrington phenomenon. Right. I haven't heard of this one. I yeah, that, that was, uh, in the, I think, in the late 19th century. And it was quite strong, associated to a very intense coronal mass ejection from mm -hmm. the sun. On the other hand, right now, the sun, it is more or less quiet. Yes. So it is not very active. And you can also see that because it doesn't have too many sunspots mm. in, in, in its surface. The sunspots are a way of counting the activity that the sun is having at a current moment or at a particular moment. It is just measuring the number of sunspots that you see yeah. in its surface. Because this is a sunspot basically a coronal hole in a way? Not uh, completely related to that, but the more sunspots you have, it means that there are more disturbances in the magnetic fields yeah. because you always find the sunspot connected to the magnetic field. Usually mm. they are pairs, or try to be pairs. One it is the north and the other it is the south magnetic pole of that particular area of the oh. sun, very disturbed. And that is a consequence of the being the sun a star. And as all stars, it is made of gas. And the gas, it is not a solid rigid, mm. as it is the Earth or the, the planet. So you have different movement of the material in the equator that, if I remember properly, it takes only around 26 days to complete a full rotation. Yeah, that sounds about right. And a very different uh, speed in the poles that mm. are perhaps they need around 30, 32 days to complete a rotation in the regions located near the poles of the sun. And what that is doing, it is stretching the magnetic field. It is just disturbing and stretching and stretching and putting them together. And yes, that is I remember seeing a, a, a diagram in my astrophysics textbook about this, and it's like twisting up all of the magnetic field lines and everything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Twisting it is much a much better word. So at the end, the magnetic field tries to be released in some way, and then you're starting to have plenty of activity with increasing number of magnetic field and, and much more intense eruptions of material. And at the end of a period of around 11 years, you get the flip of the polarity. Mm -hmm. So it is so much disturbed, the original magnetic field, that it is completely recovered on the other way around. So what it was oh. the North Pole, the North Magnetic Pole of the Sun, suddenly became the South Magnetic Pole of the Sun and the other way around. That is what happens in a solar cycle of 11 years. Wow, that's pretty cool. So usually when that is about to happen, it is when the Sun is much more active and mm. emitting much more material, and not directly light, the light of the sun in optical light, the light that we see, it is not changing no. almost anything. It is just the amount of charged particles mm -hmm. and the kind of the solar wind intense that it begins because yeah. of all these structures in the magnetic field. So we get more sunspots and we get more solar flares. And that is when uh, you have very nice, sometimes we have these very nice images of this eruption of, of matters around the sun mm. and sometimes they are as big as the sun in the sense that they are very, very, very long and doing an hour. The arc, mm. it is a consequence again of the magnetic fields yes. of the sun. And I love those things because it's great because you know how in primary school when you would draw you know, a landscape and you have the sun up in the corner but you'd have those lines coming up from the sun? Yeah. Those lines exist. Yes, they do you exist. Were, you were drawing a scientifically accurate sun. <laughs>
We usually have about a day and a half, two days warning if there mm -hmm. is a big eruption of matter from the sun and it is coming toward the Earth. Okay. Because that is the time that usually this kind of charged particle that are not moving at the speed of the light because right. they're not light, they're particles. Yeah. That Makes is sense. the time that they need to reach the Earth to travel the 150 million kilometers mm. that separates uh, the Earth and the sun. Okay, so we will be able to know when these things happen. Oh, I learned yeah, something usually, new. Usually we know. And, and there are some few web pages around there that you can actually see what is the prediction in auroras in the mm. both hemisphere, in the northern and in the south. That's right. One of them for Australia, for the southern hemisphere, or at least just in Australia, is the Bureau of Meteorology Space Weather Station or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Space Weather on Bureau of Meteorology. They will tell you what's going on. In the US, they have also some very famous webpage that I can't remember right now, but it is very <laughs> easily to find if you Google it. So, Do a quick Google. Yeah, Google, Google. And then there is a prediction of the probability of having a relatively intense aurora activity in a particular region of the Earth. Mm. But I wonder, why do we get these different colours? Because I know that when, from my, you know, my quantum mechanics mind since i'm doing quantum mechanics at the moment it's very fresh in my mind we so when these particles get excited depending on how much energy is put into these particles they go up a certain energy level right yeah so, th that is right mm -hmm. but also it depends on which kind of ions or what kind of particles are you finding okay but it also depends at which attitude mm. let's say that at the end of the day our atmosphere the atmosphere of the earth has majoritarily nitrogen mm-hmm in a molecular state, yep. and these are ones that are excited. These are producing the molecules of nitrogen, usually the blue color, but that is only happening in relatively low altitudes. Yeah. It is more easily to see this kind of green mm. or reddish colors, and the majority of those colors are associated to oxygen. Okay. So the red color, it is uh, coming from oxygen at high altitudes. Mm -hmm. The red uh, color of the oxygen, it is coming from a very particular emission line at 6300 Armstrongs. Okay. The green color is coming from a very famous emission line in the atmosphere that we always see in our spectra and then we have to get rid of it to really get <laughs> our details for galaxies and stars and so on. That is at 5577 astrons and that is a relatively low altitude, yep. below 100 kilometers maximum. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, below that, it is the molecules of nitrogen, uh, nitrogen too, but mm. it's emitting ma mainly in blue. So these are the kind of different flavors of the aurora. So, oh, I like that. Different flavors. You know, depending, depending what kind of color or colors mm -hmm. you see, or a combination of both, because sometimes the red and green and trying to do a kind of a pink thing, mm -hmm. then you know how high are these particles, charged particles from the sun colliding with our atmosphere. There you go. So if I remember properly, just the photo you showed me before that it was in that uh, news. Very pinky and red. That was red, more mm. red, because these are the very high ones. Right. That will probably be the only ones that we see from these latitudes, from mm. Sydney or South Australia in some way, or even from, the, from Spain in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. There you go. So that flashing light in the sky... 
explained. That, that was that. Okay, okay, and good. It is interesting. A pity that I have not been paying attention to that. Besides that, last uh, week I was in Melbourne, so perhaps I should have tried Maybe you would to... have seen it. Yeah, I didn't see it. But we have the problem of the light pollution. Yes, always the light pollution. And that is why perhaps that phenomena, the Aurora Australis that have been in the news, have been seen in Kayama, mm-hmm. who could have seen it from Sydney. Possibly, it's just it, the light pollution. It, it wasn't because of the nasty effect of the light pollution that also is just causing us a lot of money that we lose into illuminating the stars for nothing. <laughs> to finalize that, I have seen some few time lapses and images of the Aurora Australis from Tasmania. Mm. So they are really nice, but again, not as big as the display we can see from Northern Europe, North Russia or Canada. From Tasmania or even from the south coast of Australia, from the famous Great Ocean Road Mm. and the Twelve Apostles. I have seen also some image from there. We can only see these high auroras. The the high red red ones. And the last thing I don't want to forget to say, because I have tried to say it a couple of times and I couldn't, it is that in the Earth, the magnetic poles are not located exactly over the geographic poles. That's right. They do change. They they do change and they are different. So there are some few degrees in inclination, mm. and which is also the reason why it is a bit better seen than in the northern hemisphere than in the southern hemisphere. And if we see them from the southern hemisphere, it is more likely to see them from Australia than from Chile or South Africa. And that's because of the position because of the, of the Because of the position of the magnetic poles of the Earth. Cool. Well, there you go. That weird flashing light, not plane, not Venus, the Aurora Australis in the sky recently. But uh, you know what we skipped, Angel? Mm, well, you jumped directly to I that weird right light and then we are starting talking and talking. But we don't, it doesn't matter if we do not do it at the beginning of the episode. We can do it later. We can be talking about a different thing at the moment. Go for it. What did we skip? We skipped what's up. Well, we are starting that right now. What's hey! up? <laughs> what's up? What's up? What is up? Uh, me again. I think, oh, no, I like this one. No, because you go, you go. Because I saw this object very recently, actually, for the first time. We're going to be talking about the Carina Nebula. But technically, I didn't see the Carina Nebula. I saw the Carina, Eta Carina star. And boy, that thing is cool. It is very cool, yeah. For those who may know the Homunculus Nebula, you see these plumes of gas or these lobes around this star. You can kind of see it's kind of like a little helix sort of thing going on that you can see through a telescope and I saw it. You saw it. It was so That's cool. Good, good. It's very cute. Which telescope did you use? Using the 16-inch telescope at Sydney Observatory. Okay, so that, mm. that's good. I have only seen it a couple of times, and it is really a spectacular. Mm. So that is the core of the Carina Nebula. Yes. And that uh, feature, the homunculus, was one of the very first uh, famous images from the Hubble Space Telescope. Oh, that, by the really? way, last week... I think it was last week, or at least a couple of weeks, or 10 days. At the end of April, (laughs) we celebrated the 28th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope. It's 28 now? 20, yeah. It was launched in 1990. Wow. So... Is it not done yet? <laughs> I really hope it will still be able to provide amazing science Me too. for a long, long time. Even if we have the new space telescope, the James Webb, mm. out there. 
when it eventually goes up? Uh, if it eventually goes up and it is not cancelled because it is just, um, you know, a lot of money mm -hmm. <laughs> that the US is investing in that. But developing new technology, it is never easy. That's right. It is a very nice complement to the James Webb because the Hubble Space Telescope is a really a very powerful machine, mm -hmm. although it is only a 2.4, 2.5 yeah, meter, meter. Uh, size uh, telescope. It being just outside from the atmosphere of the Earth, it is able to provide very unique views of the universe. Mm, very clear, crisp images, except for when it first went up, though. Yeah. But I think we might talk about that on a yeah, different we'll episode. Talk about that. <laughs> and the other thing it is that Hubble, the Hubble Space Telescope, is able to observe in ultraviolet. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the James Webb Telescope will not be able to do that. We'll That's be, right. James is Webb is optical and infrared mostly. Infrared mostly, yep. yes. That's but, cool. Look at a nice little spectrum there from both Hubble and James Webb, maybe. Mm -hmm. So let's see for how long the Hubble Space Telescope is still there providing this... Uh, amazing science and views of mm -hmm. the cosmos. Which We're all rooting for you, Hubble. Yeah, please, please. Well, coming back to the Carina Nebula. Yes. That is probably not the second brightest or... Well, the thing it is, but we have Orion. Yes. And you do. see Orion through a telescope and you are... Whoa. You can even see it with the naked eye. Well, I mean, a bit of a smudge in the sky, but you, you can, can see it. You can see it with your naked eye. But still, you are able to see many details and the glowing gas very mm. easily. From the Carrier Nebula, it is still there. It is nice, but it is not that evident, although it is a bright nebula and it is mm. one of the, yeah, the brightest nebulas and the largest nebulas that, that we can have a look. Uh, you can also see it with your naked eye. Mm -hmm. They are in the middle of the Carina constellation. Okay. But... Uh, it's not as evident as uh, Orion Nebula. And perhaps also what you are seeing more, it is the stars associated around the nebula and yep. Eta Carina itself. Yes. So this nebula, NGC 3372, which is the other name to the Carina Nebula, <laughs> it is located, uh, we don't know exactly at which distance, some way between 6,500 and 10,000 light years from us. Not bad. Just so a let, hop, skip and a jump across yeah, the galaxy. Let's, let's say around 7,500 light years from, from the Earth. Mm -hmm. Perhaps with now with Gaia. Oh, that was another news that we could have been talking about. Yes, Gaia. It's Gaia. out. Yay. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we will leave that for the next episode. But for spoiling a bit, it is just a satellite from the European Space Agency that is surveying billion of stars up there to measure precisely the brightness and the position and the way they move around the galaxy. Mm. And last week they released uh, the second, I think it is the second data release, was yep. 1.7 billion stars. Wow. Wow, it is coming a lot of things from there. So perhaps we can talk about that in the next episode because yes. I have to really, I have not had the chance, as I was saying, to have a look <laughs> to anything that had not been observing a day of giving talks and science communication talks. So we can have a look to that for the next episode. Perhaps with Gaia measurements, we can get a better estimation of the distance to this object, to Eta mm. Carina and to the Carina Nebula. Mm -hmm. mm. And you know what's really cool about the Carina Nebula? What is cool? Or at least Eta Carina, the star. This star actually had a, uh, what's it called? Not an expansion period, but uh, it expelled some of its outer layers of the star 
recently. In, well, in the 1840s, but that's still still quite recent in terms of stars in the universe. Yeah. And so, this was actually recorded in Indigenous astronomy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Please tell a bit more about that and then I will give you the insight about uh, the historical view of that kind of eruptions. So this star was recorded in the Borong culture, which is a group in northwestern Victoria and part of the Wagaya language group. They actually saw this star have this expulsion period where it lit up quite brightly, went from just a background star up to one of the brightest stars in the night sky, back down to a background star in a very short period of time. So they recorded this in their oral history, and it's now known as a very important figure in their astronomy. Do you know if there are people, anyone that have been a proper kind of research or a bit of extra study about that? Yes, there was. I forget the name, but it was some German astronomer Mm -hmm. who stayed around Lake Tyrrell, which is where this group comes from as well. And it's there's papers about it. There's plenty of papers about it, actually. That's good. That is, again, showing the dedication and the importance that uh, the sky had for Aboriginal culture. Mm, Because the the brightness was recorded, the colour, where it was how long it was bright for, all of this was recorded by the Borong people okay. and this German astronomer. Eta Karina, we didn't mention also that it is a very massive, very bright star. Mm. We don't know exactly how massive it is. We estimate between 100, 150 times the mass of the sun, which is That's, a lot. That is a hefty it, star. It is a lot. It will eventually die as a, not supernova, but as a hypernova. Ooh. It would be very, very, very oh, intense and that bright. That would be exciting. Yeah, so very excited. It is in this kind of crisis at the moment. So it has been changing the brightness for the last 150, almost 200 years. Mm-hmm. So the first time that uh, someone noticed that that was happening, that, pro- that was the same period mm. that... Uh, ejection period, that's what Ejection period. That was in the 1840s mm-hmm. that suddenly... The star is starting to brighten up, brighten up, brighten up. And it was between the brightest objects in the sky till 1843 when it was the second brightest star That's right. in the sky. Mm. Just Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky, not the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Very different. <laughs> so after Sirius, so it will be the third in the... Uh, let me let me say let me say that again about what we keep this. So it was th- th- it is important because if someone asks you what is the brightest star that you see in the sky, you should always say the sun. It is the sun. Yes. But if you are asked about what is the brightest star that you can see in the night sky, it's Sirius. It is Sirius because it's seriously bright. <laughs> Very nice. So what I was trying to say is that it was the, in 1843, Eta Carinae was the second brightest star in the night sky. Mm. And then it was fading out, fading out, till in 80, 1856, it was not possible to see it with your naked eye. And as it is now, so you mm. cannot see it right now with your naked eye. It is just because of the association of stars and the Carina Nebula itself. That is why you see it. There you go. By the way. The Homunculus Nebula was created by material ejected from Eta Carinae during the Great Eruption event in the middle 19th century. Wow, that's pretty cool. But in any case, 
I will recommend again to have a look to the Carolina Nebula, but perhaps that is the best moment of the year to see it. Mm -hmm. It is not only the diffuse gas and the many stars and the Eta Carinae, but also some few of the brightest the stars, even world fragile stars, these very massive stars at the end of their lives, are in this region of the sky, in the Carina Nebula. So have a look. But again, only for our friends in the southern hemisphere. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you have to come from the north to the south to enjoy all these beautiful objects in the sky. Plus, Australia has the best view of the Milky Way. Definitely. Yeah, mm. I was uh, just uh, last, not last weekend, two weekends ago, again in Silent Spring Observatory with a bunch of very excited Spanish researchers that we organized an special event there, visiting the telescope, but also doing stargazing. And they were all amazed. And I was amazed, of course, as usual, seeing the rising of the Milky Way and oh. having the Milky Way close to the Senate in a very dark place. Wow, that is so really magic and beautiful, please. You have one of the best skies in Earth. Enjoy it. Yes. So there you have it, folks. We have the Aurora Australis, the weird flashing light in the sky. And what's up for this fortnight? The Carina Nebula. Beautiful, beautiful nebula. Second brightest nebula. Or just a bright nebula. I'm not completely sure because sometimes when I uh, have been watching the Lagoon Nebula particularly, Mm. I think that the Lagoon Nebula, it is a bit brighter, or at least it is much more evident, the gas, yeah. than the Carina Nebula. But Carina is just so beautiful. No, it's still, it's very beautiful. It's very, very beautiful. It's very beautiful. So yeah, so for our Northern Hemisphere listeners, come down to the Southern Hemisphere and check out the Carina Nebula this week. <laughs> <laughs> just take a trip down to Australia, it'd be great. Okay, uh, this is all we have for this fortnight. Next fortnight, we'll talk about the Gaia release of all the data. So get ready for that. If you have any feedback, once again, please, please, please do message us, email us on Facebook, on Twitter. We will try to respond. And you know what? We might even just mention you in the podcast. So please do send us some feedback, ask us questions. Tell us something you want to hear us rant about. Exactly. Please do that. Next topic, let us know what you want us to talk about. And we'll just, you know, have a good old nerd out Mm -hmm. about whatever you want us to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Please do it. So remember, we are at the Skyantists on Facebook and Twitter. Send us an email and we'll see you in a fortnight. Yeah. We will see each other in a fortnight talking about Gaia. So plenty of things to have a look to. All right. Keep looking up, everyone. Bye. Bye bye.